Episode 110 of the Sleeper and the Bust podcast brought to you by Fangraphs.com. I'm Jason Collette, joined again by Eno Saris. What's going on, man? Not much. Just frantically trying to get ready to go to the park again, like every Tuesday. Yeah, I'm going. Uh, I enjoyed the piece that you did with uh, Granky. It was pretty cool to hear you talk about uh, Granky and uh, Dan Heron wanted to talk to you because you were with Fangraphs and weren't running away from you. Yeah, that's the first time that's happened to me. I mean, other than uh, actually Dickie, I guess. But uh, because the first time I ever talked to Dickie, it was because he said, you know, he told some reporter to look him up on Fangraphs. So uh, <laughs> that actually, that, I forgot about that. But th- this is the first time that a pitcher has called me over and tried to walk me through pitching war and, and asked me why uh, his his war went down after a good start against the Tigers, as Heron did. So... Uh, Heron had a good point. You know, he held the Tigers to, to one run in like five or six innings with four, I think it was six innings, four strikeouts, one home run. Um, and, uh, you know, I had to explain to him that the strikeout rate was about average, that the homer rate was worse than average, and that the homer was worth, um, in, in, uh, in LA was worth more than the homer he gave up in Arizona because we do park adjusting and all that stuff. It was actually kind of a difficult conversation because I'm kind of telling him that not as good as you think, right? <laughs> but in the end, his point was, well, this is the Tigers, you know, and there should be some, there should be something in there about quality of opponent. And I can't say that I disagree completely. Right. And talking to other people. At Fangraphs, it seems like that is something that we think about and we're thinking about and we'd like to do something about. But it's very hard to say what the quality of your opponent is. True, true. I know I've seen I've seen that factor in, like, baseball reference when they have the spring training stats. They have a quality of opponent factor uh, in there. I just don't – it seems – I don't know. I didn't look into it. It kind of on the surface seems subjective. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see if, how, yeah, that, maybe- how that can move forward. Yeah, the, the, the hard thing is at least that one's about per player, I think. Um, and, and you can think about it, you know, about each player, you could probably just take projections for that player in a small sample and say, this is how good, or like a rest of season projection, right? Mm-hmm. And you could say that's how that's how good that player was. But if you're trying to, like, do it for teams, you know, then it just multiplies by every player on the team, you know, it's just that much harder because you're trying to say, well, so how good are the Brewers right now? You know? <laughs> and and how how bad are the Tigers or how good are the Tigers? So it's like it's it's almost impossible on that level. And maybe you would have to break it down to uh, each batter and, you know, how likely was he to get a strikeout against that guy. But then you're getting very granular and it's very difficult. So, you know, I had to tell him that, that in general, pitching war is way harder than hitting war. And I think that most people that, that work on this know that, know it's the truth, know that projecting pitchers is harder than projecting hitters. So, you know, I think that led to a good conversation between Heron and I about, you know, his changes that he's made as a pitcher over his career and, 
it was it was it was enjoyable. I mean, mostly was cool that because Zach Granke, I, I tried to talk to him a couple times, and each time he said, "Oh, is it important?" And you know, one time I said, "Well, is any of this important?" And he didn't. <laughs> Oops. He didn't. Play my joke. <laughs> and, uh, then this time I he said uh, I said, "You know, can I bother you?" And he said, "Do you have a good question?" And I said, and I, I was like trying to think of a good question. And I said, "I'm with Fangraphs," and he said, "Oh, that's good. What you got?" <laughs> He he went to high school up up in this area, just north of Orlando. Great kid. He was a, just an amazing player as a as a little league guy. But it was a uh, he's from this area, same uh, same high school conference that Johnny Damon went to, and AJ Persinski went to. Jason Baratek played against it, so a lot of those different guys uh, came through this situation. Let's get into the players and look. I guess the biggest news that we learned late last night, early into this morning, is Chris Sale is on the disabled list with a uh, soreness in his flexor mass. They say the ligament's good, but this is the same thing that happened to him, I believe it was last year or the year before. And the first thing I thought of, well, this is what happens when you throw 127 pitches in an April start against Boston. And I don't know, you know, as a fan of me, I'm happy. I don't own any shares in Chris Sale, and he was set to pitch against the Rays this weekend, so I'm rather happy he's not pitching. Because he would have probably struck out 50 guys in that start and not allowed a hit. But it, it just seems nuts to allow a starting pitcher to go 127 pitches in the middle of April. And this isn't a surprise, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I I've, I've, I thought uh, this was coming last year. Uh, just because there was a bit of a velocity change and... He uh, has always been a slider guy, and from what I've heard within uh, a different organization, he not he's not the hardest worker in some ways. He's kind of a grip it and rip it guy. Um, I didn't know if any of that would really add up to injury per se, but you know, it it does look like it is now mm-hmm. for what it's worth. And um, and I and I. I wish I hadn't sold a year early, but <laughs> I definitely don't think I'm buying now. That's definitely a Tommy John precursor, and uh, I'm really worried about it. A strain is a tear, so he basically has a tear in his flexor mass, and maybe it'll go away, but, you know, Colby Lewis, who is older, I admit that Colby Lewis is older, uh, Colby Lewis had that, and uh, it took him a full year to come back. Yeah, his previous pitch, his previous pitch count high in an April start, was 111. So he went from 111, and 127 is his career high. He's never thrown this many pitches in a game. Yeah, I've looked back at everything over 100, 115 or more pitches. Every time he's done this, it's been Memorial Day or later. I was at one of the games, May 28th of 2012, against Tampa Bay when it was Matt Moore versus Chris Sale. The two of them combined for 27 strikeouts. It was a beautiful game to watch. I mean, uh, sale was just absolutely dominant in this game and but that's it i mean it's always been the 115 or plus have been memorial day or later and the bomb bomb 127 the reason they did that is because the bullpen got torched the night before with uh, i believe that was the night that felipe paulino got torched so the bullpen was shallow so rather than call somebody up from triple a they let Sale stay out there and work in a no decision, mind you. This wasn't even a, a win or anything. This was a no decision. He threw 127 pitches in seven innings. Yes, he only gave up one hit. Yes, he struck out 10 guys and walked three. 
But man, career high pitch totals in the month of April are insanity. Oh man, I misheard. I was talking about Latos. You know, yeah, Sale. They were trying to call that general soreness, but uh, they updated that, didn't they? Yeah. What is it now? The flexor mass. But it's not a it's not a strain, is it? I have because I was talking about Latos, where it's it's actually a strain, and that's that's a tear. But I, I thought. With sale, it was a little bit more up in the air. I mean, the flexor mass is muscle and not not ligament, is what they say. Uh, flex. Well, actually, it says Chris Sale headed to the DL with a flexor strain, is what it says. On, oh no! See, I don't like that either. Flexor I, muscle flex- strain in his left arm. Yeah, I mean, a strain is a tear, so that's not good. You know, the kind of the weird thing with uh, with with Sale is that you know, I I was selling high on Latos. That was what I was blabbing on about, but. Um, uh, with Sale, we kind of all just decided eventually that his mechanics were, you know, they were unique and maybe not that big of a deal. Um, but maybe they are. I mean, it, it just, when you watch him, it seems like it's not going to work for a long time. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of recoil at the end. Um, there's a lot of whipping. There's a lot of, it looks like strain on the elbow. Crossfire. Yeah, crossfire. I mean, Rick Hahn, GM, says that he's fairly confident that he'll be out the minimum 15 days. Uh, I'll believe that when I see it. Well, I mean, at least they have him on a really, really nice deal. And if they, even if they lose him for a year, they lose him for a year. It's not, you know, maybe it's the kind of thing that puts stress on an elbow but not a shoulder, which <laughs> I think every GM would take T- Tommy John over labrum surgery. Uh, indeed. Uh, the other kind of – this hasn't really been anything – hasn't been listed as an injury or anything, but we certainly have to be concerned with the way Clay Buckholz is pitching right now. Got bombed again yesterday. Didn't even make it out of the third inning uh, against Baltimore. Velocity is down. Swing and miss rates down. Obviously, strikeout rates are down, but no disabled list yet. They're just saying dead arm, but it's been four starts into the season, and dead arm has been pretty much dead results for Clay Buckholz. Yeah, I mean, I never really liked him, at least not as much as you did. Uh, what did What did you like about him coming into the season? I mean, I like this guy. He doesn't walk a lot of guys, so he doesn't get himself into trouble there. Does a good job of keeping the ball in the ballpark. And uh, so I figure if he's, you know, last season allowed just four home runs, didn't hurt himself with walks. And those are two things I always look to avoid to pitchers. I want guys that don't hurt themselves with free passes or free souvenirs. And he did both of those. And, and that's what I liked about him. The batting average in balls in play has historically been a low one for him. His, his career high has been 286. It's 426 right now in this season. So he's getting a lot of stuff hit hard. But his bad bit has been 255, 286, 265, 263, 281. So he's established a nice baseline. We knew where he's going to be. This 426 miss is nuts. He's allowed as many home runs this year in 92 plate appearances as he did all of last year in 416. You know, I, I kind of thought of him as a kitchen sink guy, and there is something to that. He's got, you know, six pitches that he throws regularly. Right. And, um, and you know, but he's not a bad fastball guy, or he hasn't been in the past. Uh, this year, he's down to 91.6 on the fastball, but the sinker still gets a lot of ground balls. So if he goes, you know, sinker, you know, throws a, f- a few, maybe the fastball, uh, the, the four seam is getting uh, rocked around. That has the highest home run rate um, at 91.6. It doesn't get a lot of whiffs. It doesn't get a lot of grounders. Maybe he just needs to stop throwing the four seam and, and kind of go exclusive with the sinker 
I mean, with the sinker, the cutter, the change, the curve, and the split, it's still enough pitches. And, you know, he can command the sinker um, as well as any of his other pitches. He can actually command most of his pitches, which is which is interesting. Um, the thing so, with him, if we look at pitch types, he's only thrown 330 pitches this season. He's almost is he's thrown. I'm looking at 230 of those have been fastballs or cutters. Yeah. So he's probably, and that's what really got him into trouble. That's why I hated the matchup yesterday against Baltimore. You go look at the pitch data. Baltimore is really good against cutters. For whatever reason, they're really good against cutters. And when I was doing daily notes at ESPN, I said, stay away from this matchup. I hate it. And they backed me up. That's funny. Uh, that's funny because their their organization banned uh, the development of cutters. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> so uh, they, they they really don't like cutters. <laughs> no. Um, I I think yeah I think there's something to that. I think in general maybe he could go with fewer uh, forcing and more off speed stuff. It's the kind of what pitchers do when they lose velocity. And when I look at his uh, arrangement of pitches, I would say uh, that's probably what he should do. The good news is his cutter is excellent, uh, even this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the change remains a uh, strong pitch for him, and the splitter is, is a great pitch for him. So, you know, he's got he's got a, got a bunch of different weapons. The curve isn't great, but I think the action on that pitch uh, serves as his primary breaker. Um, so, you know, even though it's not great by whiffs or grounders, it's at least something that breaks in that direction where everything – you know that and the cutter are his primary breakers. So, I mean, what I think, I'm, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I think I think you know I think he's got the weapons to be good. I just I the reason I don't like him is is there's this like all never ending injury story with him. True, the health is definitely an issue. But the other thing that stands out to me is the batting average and balls in play on the fastball and cutter. His batting average and balls in play on his fastball is five forty five. On the cutter, it's four fifty eight. I mean, that speaks to a guy that can't locate his pitches right now this is i mean he's still not walking guys but these things are getting smoked i mean if that's what his batting average on balls in play is for his fastball these things are getting smoked the home runs are coming off the fastball and the cutter is he's been able to been able to keep the cutter in the ballpark has given up 11 hits eight of them singles that's what you expect and so you maybe uh some of those will start falling falling in the gloves instead of finding grass but that, that's some high hit rates on those two pitches, which kind of scares me. But going into last night, there were several good pitching matchups on paper, and I think right at the top you had Felix Hernandez going against the Astros and you Darvish with you know with Oakland on two different ends of the scale. Hernandez has dominated the Astros in the past, and Darvish has had his troubles against the against Oakland. If you look at his career record in Oakland now, it's just one in six with a 432 ERA and a 140 whip. And last night was more of the same story from them as they were able to get to him yet again. It's, it's like he dominates everybody else and then goes up against Oakland. And for whatever reason, Oakland handles him. Yeah. I, you know, I, the one thing that they were talking about on the cast that I remember is that he, he, I think he, there's been a little bit of velocity decline for him, just like there is for everyone. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, watch out for you, Darvish. It's just, you know, it's the sort of thing. And he and he was trying to uh, throw challenge fastballs, fastballs by some guys. And that was the one that uh, that Moss murdered. Um, you know, and think about that sort of a matchup. Uh, you know, challenge fastball, maybe a mile an hour slower than it used to be against a guy who murders fastballs like Brandon Moss, who has the platoon advantage. 
you know, I I think there's still something uh, to to the uh, the matchup there that that doesn't favor him. I don't know. I mean, I think he's an excellent pitcher, and his velocity is down like a you know a half a tick. So it's not, you know that's that's something that he'll recover over the course of the season. Right. So. I don't really have an answer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a crazy thing because I, when I, again, the daily notes at ESPN, there's, there's this whole thing that they have with, with projected game score. And I looked at it and I lowered it by 10 points because of the matchup. And in hindsight, I guess I didn't lower it enough because I, I still had them as the third or fourth best pitching matchup yesterday. But in hindsight, I knew that the issues were there against Oakland. I figured, you know, maybe this is a different year or whatever. I know I've watched some of those starts, and sometimes it's just a matter of one or two bad events that kind of snowballed on them. But, yeah, that that wasn't good. And the Felix Hernandez, same kind of thing last night. I mean, that Astros lineup has been horrendous over the last week to 10 days, and they get to him. I know there was a defensive issue behind him because some of those runs were unearned yesterday, but I, you know, when I woke up this morning because I didn't stay up to watch that game, I woke up this morning, and I'm thinking, okay, let's have what happened. Wow, 7-2, to two, how did this happen? And, you know, Felix Hernandez, when you look at this game, gave up six runs, but only two of them were earned, did give up a home run to Matt Dominguez uh, out of nowhere, but... It transitions into the other end of it because Hernandez was pitching against a guy you just wrote up today in Dallas Keuchel, who picked up his second win. And Dallas Keuchel now has a 3.38 ERA in the season and has two of the four Astros wins. Yeah, I mean, you know, sorry, Felix. Uh, you know, Matt Cain feels his pain. There was, you know, Matt Cain was the the whipping boy for this sort of thing in the past, where you know he always pitched well, but always was like ten and ten. And uh, his team never never scored any runs for him. So uh, you know maybe Felix Hernandez is the new Matt Cain, or maybe it's just that one one well one off occurrence. But this is what happens in baseball. But you know I, I wrote up Keuchel today, and I thought going into it that I would find some flaws that would where I could uh, mitigate my excited you know my excitement for him because I I, I was all over Keuchel in the, in the preseason. He was a he was a definitely a, a prize acquisition for my AL labor squad. I was I was happy about that, and the reason I liked it was because he scripted he he scrapped a bad curve that he used to use, um, and uh, he replaced it with a good slider, and, and guy who already a great sinker changeup lefty, to have a pitch that uh, broke in on lefties, it's it's kind of the opposite of what you know like an Eovaldi problem where right. Eovaldi right. have something that breaks away from lefties. Uh, Keiko is a lefty, and he has a changeup, which has a reverse platoon split. So he has a weapon against righties, but he, against same-handed guys, he was he was like you know, he had this slow curve that he broke out. That you know, I guess they saw it coming because it didn't really do a lot for him. So now he's replaced that curve with a slider that gets twenty plus percent whiffs. It's a great pitch, uh, and so now he has sinker, change, slider. That's all you need, basically. And though. You know, the one fly I could find was that he doesn't command his secondary pitches that well. Uh, the thing that's okay about that is he gets strike one at an elite rate, and he uh, he really has plus-plus command of the sinker. So he can get ahead with the sinker. He can get strikes with the sinker. The sinker gets 67% ground balls. It's a really good pitch. And so now he has, once he gets ahead with the sinker, he has the change and slider combination to uh, to get people out. Yeah, he's definitely somebody I, – I, I picked him up in my AL League because I was hurting for starting pitching, and I looked at it and said, okay, he's available. I can get him for free off the free agent pile. 
you know, let me take a stab at them, and it's worked out. I, I was able to look at, and I got all, I've, I've received both of those wins in a league where I'm hurting with wins. But when you look at 24% strikeout rate, 6% walk rate, that's good. The home runs are going to be, I mean, he's given up three bombs right now in 100 plate appearances. That's not terrible, but we're looking at a guy last year whose strikeout rate was 18%. So if 25% improvement rate and strikeout rate so far, that's nice. Yeah, and I think I think that, you know, the one thing, you know, the 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 steamer and zips they used to used to be able to say, well, you know, they can't they don't know that, that they lost velocity, but now they do. You know, steamer and zips both added velocity into it, but they don't really know about new pitches. And you know, as as you found from your piece, it's problematic enough to to go after new pitches. You wrote that great piece about all the new pitches that people were adding. Right. You know, I've already sort of snuck a look back at that and found that there were only about three or four uh, pitches that ended up being useful off that list. But, you know, there is probably some point at which you could, you could maybe teach your projection system, hey, this guy's throwing a completely new pitch, and by these pitch-type peripherals, it's a pretty good pitch. And, there, and then bump up the, the strikeout rate. Because... If you look at his swing strike rate, that's excellent for a starter. Um, and if you look at his per-pitch metrics, he's got these three excellent pitches. So not, I'm not necessarily saying he'll strike out a guy per inning the rest of the way, but I am saying that I think that the projected strikeout rates for him the rest of the way are low. And I think in general, the this is a this is totally the type of guy that projection systems would miss on. He, I, I know he wasn't on my radar, but when you look at a guy, when you look at a guy again, that strikeout rate jump, and we have enough plate appearances for this to stabilize, and for us to look and say, "Hey, let's see what's going on here. What's what's different for him? Why is this working?" And one of the things when I look, it stands out. His swing and miss rates up five full percentage points. His percentage of balls in play is down seven full percentage points, and that's a good thing because that Astros defense still was not good behind him. I mean, Matt Dominguez can play defense, but Astros defense overall is still not good behind him. So the fewer balls he's putting in play, the better off he is. Yeah. Uh, the other thing in that game, uh, to transition, in that game, he faced Brad Miller. And uh, Brad Miller's not working out so well. He is now the bottom of the lineup. He has a triple slash line of 187, 228, 347. Struck out two more times last night. Is having some serious problems making contra- uh, contact. Blake Murphy wrote a piece up at Rotographs today. Uh, talk about Brad Miller. Yeah, that was funny. I, I, I asked Twitter today, should I write about uh, Brad Miller? Should I write about Dallas Keuchel? Or should I write about Simeon and, and Scope? And the response was overwhelming Brad Miller. So I started writing on Brad Miller. I finished writing on Brad Miller. And I discover that uh, there's already a Brad Miller piece in the scheduler. <laughs> <laughs> I had that the other day. I, I was working on something, and Cameron dropped me a note saying, hey, by the way, somebody's almost done with this topic. I'm like, ah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically what I just did was send what I had over to, to Blake, and he included it. So the... Blake's piece has a little bit of analysis from both of us, but the, the, the is, you know, we were working the same string. That's why I didn't want to do two pieces is just basically Brad Miller's got that toxic combo of swinging more at pitches outside the zone yes. and swinging less often at pitches inside the zone. And it's just, and what's, what's even worse about that as a toxic combo is that those swing rates are, are closer to being 
stable than almost anything else because they're 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 a per pitch metric. So you know, you when you're looking at per pitch metrics, you're four to five times ahead of per at bat uh, stuff. So yes, it looks like he's striking out too much. That's not quite stable, but his swing rates suggest that he'll strike out um, too much this year. So, and they're closer to stable. So I am worried about him. And, you know, there is a non-zero risk, even though Nick Franklin is probably not a shortstop, there is now a non-zero risk that he takes uh, Brad Miller's job because at least he's in the major leagues. He's right there. Yeah. And he's not even doing a decent job of hitting himself. I know he had a triple in his first at bat, but his numbers still look poor. As well, if if these two were on the same plane defensively, the switch already would have happened. But that's the gap between these two guys defensively, and that's why we're not seeing this switch. It bums me. I own several shares of Miller. I uh, was very aggressive in suggesting him to people. I'm not willing to write him off yet, but, man, this is not the kind of start we wanted to see. A uh, couple other notes here on the pitching end of things. Danny Duffy is looking I don't know if you've got to see him pitch. I've seen him pitch his last three times out. Man, is he looking good out of the bullpen in Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, uh, I love uh, Brian Bannister. He, he he made an interesting connection where he said, you know, Granke had a problem with, with um, sort of confidence, and then they, he blew it by people in short stints in the, in, the, in the bullpen, and that's kind of how he grew to be the pitcher he is. I don't know. You know, I think that there's a, a fundamental difference between the two pitchers because Danny Duffy doesn't really know where it's going most of the time, and that's been his main problem. Right. But there is a confidence factor in command in that, you know, I was talking to um, to Dan Heron about this, actually, where he was talking about, you know, the homers he gives up and and and, and, and the the, the, the the leap that he made from being a guy who walks guys around league average with um, with St. Louis, uh-huh. and then, and then um, the guy who dr- dropped down to like one and a half walks per nine in Oakland and never looked back, he said it was confidence. He said he couldn't, he he didn't think he could throw it in the zone because the hitters would hit it uh, when he first came up. And then the light light went on, and he said, you know what, I'm gonna throw it in the zone. So there is a confidence factor to command. And it's sort of when you think about nibbling and stuff. So if, if Danny Duffy does, you know, have a good year or a good half year in, in relief here, it could matter to him because he has 94 mile an hour, uh, by 94 mile an hour moving fastball, 95 right now. Actually, I've seen him touch 97. Yeah. So he is a big fastball and the, the curve has always been a strong pitch for him. Uh, I mean, he really has, most of what he needs because, um, you know, with the, with the, the power curve like that, a lot of curves are, 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 are platoon. Um, they don't have bad platoon splits. So, uh, you know, curve slider four seam, if it's at 94, 95, that's enough for me. I love the velocity. I've loved Danny Duffy for a while. I just couldn't hang on to him in so many leagues because it was just getting too, it was taking too long. Um, and, you know, I still think that he's a deep leaguer at best right now just because the role's not clear for him and he still has this control problem. But there, there's a little bit to this confidence factor. Maybe he just blows it by some people and he realizes, hey, I'm just going to throw it in the zone and you, you deal with it. Indeed. When you look, that's the thing. When you look at the, the zone, he's not, he's, his swing and miss rate is up less than 2%. But his percentage of strikes is up. 
His percentage of pitches in the zone are way up. His zone percentage was 46% last year. It's 56% right now. So, I mean, that's a, he's basically rearing back, putting it in the strike zone and saying, go for it. I mean, that's, this is a guy recognizing that the pitcher-hitter matchup still favors the pitcher. Even if you're bad, 65% of the time, it's going to work out in your favor. If you're really good, it's going to work out in your favor 75 to 80% of the time. And I think this is the guy who just says, okay, fine. I've got the heat. I'm going to bring it in. I'm going to locate it. You do what you want with it. So that's what, that's all I see because the, 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 the strikeout rate's way up. But we're talking, you know, he struck out nine of the 23 batters he's faced so far. Last year, struck out 22 of the 104 guys he faced. And, and just something to watch. The opportunity may not be in the rotation there for now. But if you can, if you have the time or the roster spot to to get on Duffy and stick him somewhere, I think he should do it. For what it's worth, this is also the first time he's ever had a, uh, an above average first strike percentage. So, I mean, that's that along with the zone percentage, I'm definitely seeing a change pitcher. Um, and I, I I doubt that there is something inherent about coming out of the bullpen, other than this confidence factor and flaps of velocity. There's not something inherent about coming out of the bullpen that would make you have better command, is there? No, I just I think, think it's just a matter of the only thing I would see is that coming out of the bullpen allows you to throw harder. You don't have to conserve your velocity. That's really All it. Right. And it and to your point about the first strike, I had somebody on Twitter reach out to me. He said, like, Nate Eovaldi's first strike percentage is up to 69%. Is it better for fireballers to have a high first pitch strike rate compared to command guys? My answer to that, it's good for any pitcher. To have a good, that's it. You look at the advantage, look at the numbers after you get that first strike. It's good for anybody to do that. And that's what I'm talking about and go that way. So that's one of the things I like to look at is that first pitch thing and see where that's at. And guys that have that high rate, I'm on. Guys that are continually pitching from behind, it's not something I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think it might actually, if if we're debating that question, it might actually be slightly more important for the guy without the big fastball, just because once they're ahead, then they can start using their off-speed stuff. Right, right. It's usually the fastball that gets you ahead. So if you have an 89 mile an hour fastball and you get ahead with strike one, all of a sudden you have you can start using your slider and change or whatever you got. But if you if you have a 96 mile an hour fastball and you you, you go up one zero, you can throw that fastball again. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely can, and if you're if you're behind, then you've got to say, okay, I'm behind one oh two oh. Am I just gonna go ahead and walk this guy? Am I gonna you know, hope he swings at something? I don't like, you know, soft tossers. It's absolutely nice for them to get ahead, but it's good for any pitcher to get ahead in the situation. Um, the other note on the pitching wide is looking at closers since it's always crazy. And Nick and I talked a little bit about this Sunday about how much I hate Kyle Farnsworth as the closer because it's just more smoke and mirrors. But now he's already sore. They, there was a shot last night in the game where he was kind of looking down at his arm, flexing things around a little bit. He hasn't pitched in back-to-back days. He's saying he's fine, but he's old, and the stuff isn't good. I, Nick and I have a, a kind of a bet. I say Farnsworth's out of that closer role by Mother's Day. He says Memorial Day. Where do you lean in that argument? Well, I mean, I would be a lot more down on him if he was uh, where he was at the beginning of last season, where he was, you know, struggling to crack ninety. But at least he's throwing ninety-four. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's some something to that. You know, we velocity and strikeout rate, and also we know that um, you know his team. If there is this whole idea of keeping people cheap, his team would probably rather keep uh, Herman and, and Familia cheap. Sure. Uh, 
while they can. So, uh, you know, there's and and then, and then you also throw in this idea that they're they're watching uh, Hanrahan, um, which would be another guy they could bring in for maybe a million bucks and, and see if he could close. So, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like you know they're near 500 right now, but I kind of see this as just another 75 win uh, season, and I don't think that they're necessarily um, too worried about you know closing games out. And, and, and finding someone to, to do this for the rest of... I mean, I think they probably think Parnell will, will be back at some point next year. And But, you know, I I would go uh, longer for for both. I mean, I didn't know that he was uh, that he was feeling sore. Without that piece of information, I would have said, um, I think there's a 60% chance he closes all season. Yeah, I, just, I guess I'm biased because of having a watch pitch here in Tampa Bay the last couple of years. <laughs> I just I, I don't see it working out. I really don't. So caution. But I wanted to close with the, the fact that we look at the saves leaderboard right now. The three pitchers that have at least seven saves already this season. Kenley Jansen, who a lot of people invested heavily in. John Axford, who people were running from. And Francisco Rodriguez, who nobody drafted. Those are your three pitchers that have at least seven saves this year. And uh, Rodriguez leads them all with eight. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, he's just he's got like an 89 mile an hour fastball at this point, but he throws the changeup more than the fastball, and it doesn't seem like a sustainable idea. But the changeup has always been very excellent, and you know maybe it'll work backwards too. So I, I said at one point I think I asked you who who is going to be the closer that does it ugly all year, and um, I think right now you've got on the table right now you got Kyle Farnsworth, Francisco Rodriguez, and Matt Lindstrom, and I, I said Matt Lindstrom for what it's worth. Oh yeah. Uh, what? Who do you who do you like out of those three to just close all? Do it ugly all year. Do it the ugly. Joke. It may be, you know, it may Rodriguez. I think, and if I had him, I'd be trying to sell the hell out of him right now. Uh, but with I don't think Lindstrom's going to get enough of a chance. Daniel Webb's looked really good in that bullpen. Uh, maybe Tommy Hunter continues to do it ugly. I did. I wasn't impressed with what I saw yesterday in the outing against Boston. He, he got out of it by the skin of his teeth there. Uh, but I thought I thought Ryan Webb has looked fantastic. This is something I don't get. Ryan Webb got bombed in his first two outings, and since then he's barely pitched. I mean, he came in yesterday, struck out the side uh, against Boston on 15 pitches, and then they pulled him from the game. He's thrown 50 pitches in two weeks. But they've been really good. I don't. I don't understand why sometimes guys get hit big. Okay, we're going to sit them down for a while and barely use them. But it, I, I don't understand what's going on there. But I haven't been. Tommy Hunter's velocity looks fine, but the, the work it's been a little bit of an ugly save uh, chance for him. Uh, I mean, Craig Kimbrell's had his issues. Even uh, Jansen hasn't been immune to things. He's given up a couple of home runs. A walk rate's been high. Axford's getting it done ugly. I mean, he's had his walks, but he's getting his saves. Yeah, and that, you know, didn't, I mean, I'm checking this real quick, but didn't his uh, velocity sort of rebound a little bit? It did. Yeah, and he, I think he he's uh, getting the strikeouts that he needs. He's always been the kind of guy that, uh, you know, had no idea where it was going. So, yeah, throwing a 96, uh, still got the, the power curve. Um, I'm not, I guess I'm not, I'm not that worried about Axford. Lindstrom has looked uh, kind of crappy. <laughs> uh, and he just someone pointed out that his strikeout rate matched his walk yep. rate at three six at some point. <laughs> yes, he's got he's got three of each. <laughs> three of each uh, over nine innings. Nate Jones is still hurt. Uh you know, Daniel Webb, 
I like, but do they do they need to to push him into the role right now at his age and and at his sort of level of of, of uh, arbitration pay? Although Daniel Webb is being used in the eighth, um, or or being used in 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 winning games, and um, you know it's it's funny we don't even know who the closer is in Chicago, do we? In, in, on the other side of Chicago, no, we don't. Because <laughs> they don't have any games to put them in, I, I did notice that Rondon was uh, was used in a uh, close and tight game before uh, Strope. So, in um, before, I mean, you know, in the seventh or eighth, as opposed to uh, where Strope was used. So, I think my money is on on Strope being the closer there right now. Yeah, I think that's yeah. where it's going to go eventually. It is a. Uh... It's it's a strange situation. I like I liked Barris a lot. I think uh, maybe another opportunity exists for him somewhere. But this is uh, he lost he lost that job rather quickly, and it, their role was basically to sign him, fluff his value up, and then trade him. And for them to yake him like this shows this is it's not a good situation. This is where it's going to be, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. You have any uh, any final things you're working on that you'd like to talk about before we uh, call it a show? Nope, uh, just gonna try and talk to some Rangers today. My my sort of golden goose, the the one I'm always after, is you Darvish. Because my God, a, a pitching grips piece with you Darvish would awesome. uh, rock my world. Uh, but um, it's a little bit harder with him. He's got a little bit of an entourage. Uh, just you know, not not that he's a rock star, but just he he has to have a translator by him and. You know, it's a little bit harder to to get him to to uh, do an interview. Does so. he? Now, here's the thing: Does he need to have a translator? Because, you know, I I won't name names, but I've seen guys in the clubhouse that speak perfect English to their teammates, and all of a sudden their English disappears when a media person comes around. Yeah, yeah, I know it's an issue. Um, I definitely know it's an issue with people. But you know what? You can't. You can't hate on them too bad because you can you can speak a language and not be comfortable in it, right? And, and that's and that's exactly why I don't. I, I hear other people comment about it. I don't care. I get it, man. If if you're going to be stuttering your way through it, then fine. I I, I get it. But yeah, you know, it would be sometimes it's tough because you want to ask questions uh, to certain guys about what they're doing defensively. What they're and it's just I don't want to have to worry. Sometimes they don't make themselves available. But I wish I knew Spanish uh, because it definitely would help with some players. Yeah, for sure. I haven't I haven't been able to make headway over to the Latin side of the table so much. Um, you know, I I you know I, I talked to Gregor Blanco, who was more of a marginal player, so it was more in his interest to try hard and um, and 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 give me a good interview, um, even though the language wasn't necessarily his choice of languages. You know, once you get to a guy, you know, like Pablo Sandoval, I've gotten maybe three words out of nothing that I could turn into a piece. And I, it's hard for me to blame him because I know that it's not it's not very natural for him. But, um, yeah, I, I was supposed to learn Spanish this offseason. And I guess that'd be for next offseason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it'd be it'll be a challenge. Uh I used to know Spanish conversationally rather well. It just all kind of fell off. Maybe it's because my uh, my ex wife was Hispanic, and maybe I just tried to block it out from there. Uh, 
that was it. Uh, thanks for the feedback on the Sunday show. I hope you guys enjoyed the Sunday one. Uh, Nick and we're still trying to nail down a decent time. We had to do it late because it was Easter. Uh, the next episode of this will record Friday. I'm not doing it Thursday. My mom's in town. And I'm taking her to the Rays game during the day as her early Mother's Day present because she lives in North Carolina. I live here. Uh, so that's why there's not going to be an episode Thursday. So uh, hopefully you've listened this far into the podcast and, and not start tweeting at us. Hey, where's the show? Where did it, where is it on Thursday? Because it won't be here Thursday. Any final thoughts? Mm-hmm. No. Thanks for listening. All right, guys. Thanks. We'll talk to you Friday. Thank you.